Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends. How does God take a young man from the South Shore of Massachusetts who loves the game of football on a circuitous route to the heartland of America, then to the Rocky Mountains before returning home to fulfill his calling? This is the story of Pastor Paul Atwater. It's a narrative about learning and loving the Word of God, but one that involves an inner transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We pause here as we normally do at the beginning of our show to remind you, dear friend, the reason we have the Good Life Radio program, well, it's to lead you closer and closer to Jesus Christ. Dear one, for you to know the one who knows you and loves you, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, you might feel like your back is against the wall. What do I do next? Look, no matter what you've done, where you've been, how bad things may seem to be, there is always hope in Jesus. In Jesus who loves you so much. John 3:16. He died on the cross for your sins. Romans 5 Jesus shed his blood on that cross to wash your sins away. He was buried, yes, but three days later, he rose again from the grave. And today, the living Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the living Christ, dear friend, reaches out to you. Will you turn to Jesus? Would you open your heart to Christ? Will you turn from your way? And turn to God's way. That's called repentance. That's our hope. We're praying. And dear friend, dear brother or sister in Christ, if you already know the Lord, you're going to be blessed today. Paul Atwater was the founding pastor of North River Church, launched in 1989. He continues to serve as the senior pastor. He graduated from Wheaton College in Illinois and Denver Seminary in Colorado. He has a passion and gift Oh, yes, he has a gift for communicating God's grace and love to people who did not grow up with strong church connections. Paul and Susan, they've been married since 1981. They have two grown daughters. Pastor Paul Atwater, welcome. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Danny. Those are kind words. It's good to be here with you. Blessed indeed. I mentioned South Shore, but uh, we need to know more. Take us back. Where did you grow up? Give us specifics. So I grew up in Weymouth, Massachusetts, and uh, my family moved there just before I was born. My mom worked at South Shore Hospital, and um, they, my folks had lived in the city in Jamaica Plain where they met. My two older sisters were born there, but um, my dad wanted to live somewhere where they had trees on his land, and that was his big dream, having grown up in the city. And my, my mom had worked in some of the hospitals in the city, and uh, they scoped out 
an opportunity for her to work with South Shore Hospital when it was a very small hospital as a nurse. And she worked there for about 30 years. So we grew up in Weymouth. I'm the third of four kids in my family. And we attended a Baptist church in Weymouth. And uh, I think that my start in ministry in a lot of ways came from my, my parents. But s some of the things that I saw and heard uh, as a young teenager in that environment were part of it. My mom came from a ministry family. My, my grandfather and three of my uncles were fundamentalist Baptist preachers. And so I watched my uncles start churches. And I kind of had this thought in the back of my head that people who start churches, if you love people and you teach the Word of God faithfully, they grow. The churches grow. And, oh. I, and I watched that happen. You mentioned your, your, on your mother's side, ministers, yes. fundamentalists, Baptists. Yes. Who would you say in your younger years, who would you say influenced you most? Well, not my uncles or my grandfather necessarily, but um, my dad. My, my dad was an engineer. He worked at Gillette for most of his career. And, um, but he was very committed to the local church. And my dad was either a deacon or he chaired the missions team or he, uh, he was involved in the, uh, the follow-up you know, soft evangelism. He, he would actually go knocking on doors and visit people who uh, visited our church. And he was very comfortable talking about Jesus. And that's one of the great gifts that my dad gave me over time. He helped me overcome the fear that I had and the intimidation factor of talking about Jesus and realizing that actually people do have questions and they want to know. And if you can enter into that conversation in the right way and put people at ease, they'll open right up and, and tell you what they think about God, what they think about the Bible, they'll ask their questions. So I remember as a 16-year-old kid going with my dad on one of these Tuesday night visits where he and a couple of other deacons would follow up on the, the new visitors to church and he invited me to come along. I was praying secretly, Lord, just don't let it be anybody that I know, because I didn't want to be embarrassed. Sure enough, we knock on the door of this one home, and it's a kid that I had gone to junior high with. We were at different high schools at the time, and he saw me and instantly knew me, and, and yet he invited my dad and me in. And I listened to my dad have this conversation and realized, here's this guy that I never would have started a conversation with about faith, and my dad had had this very disarming way of entering the conversation. And this guy had all kinds of questions and he wanted to know. Someone listening is saying, well, say more about that disarming way. You're, you're touching on a nerve, Paul. Uh, people do feel that they have this apprehension, this fear, even maybe even paralyzed with the thought of sharing with someone, especially in the context, the social political context that we're in now how do, did your dad teach you what did he do what did you learn give us an example of how he broke into a conversation sure. like that sure. so I, I, what I found is my dad was a good listener and he wouldn't go in and just, just try to push what he wanted to say he would get to know the person and he would ask some questions and he'd compliment you know their home and and that sort of thing but he just had a way of saying you know do you have any questions or or anything like this, there's something you've been hungering to know. Because I'd be more than willing to have that conversation. And if we don't know, we'll, we'll tell you. But maybe we can come back another time and, and we'll have more to add. And so he didn't go in aggressively. He, he, he really came in from a, a listening standpoint and trying to identify a point of need. And then he would talk about whatever that was. But 
see that approach right there. You mentioned disarming. I think that's a key word. Yeah. But it's a it's a an attitude of learning, an attitude. That, well, I mean, prompt, prompted by the question. Yes. I think that's a good way. Yes. Lead with a question. Yes. And then listen. And listen. Yeah. Your faith journey. How did you? You grew up in a home of Christians. Mm-hmm. How did your faith journey grow to the place where you became a fully devoted follower of Christ? And then yeah. to the point where you discovered your calling? So early on, I think I had a heart for, for the Lord. But I struggled like a lot of kids do growing up in this environment. And um, I think sports kept me out of trouble. I, I, I was an athlete. I, I played football, basketball, and track throughout high school and then uh, football and track in college. And uh, had one in my high school years, I had one foot in the party crowd and one foot in the church crowd, and I was conflicted over the, the, the two roles. Um, and at the same time, I watched my home church lose a whole generation of teenagers. And I can remember sitting in church at around 14, 15 years old, thinking, I know this is true, but there has to be a better way of saying this. And I was troubled by that because I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know where that was leading me. I didn't know what the answers were. I just knew there had to be a better way. Now, I loved the pastor in my church. He was a very faithful guy. He was there for 25 years. He happened to come about a year before I was born, and he retired a year before I finished seminary. That was a great gift to have this long, consistent pastorate. Uh, but, but our church was um, kind of locked in a cultural time warp, you know, using the King James Bible and praying in these and thous and, and uh, not necessarily communicating in the language of ordinary people at times. And um, so, you know, I began to think about how, how, does, how does that happen? Um, when I went off to college, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life yet, but I had this nagging feeling in the, in the back of my brain that I was supposed to go into pastoral ministry. And um, um, it involved my, my choice of college. I, I was recruited to play in the Ivy Leagues, and I turned down that opportunity to go to a small Midwestern Christian college, Wheaton College, because it also had a football program. And I, I wanted to learn more about the Bible about my, for, for myself so that I could figure out what I really believed versus what was my family's faith. But I also wanted to pursue football at that time. Well, when we come back, let's talk about football sure, and track and the pursuit of God in your heart as you pursued the Lord reciprocally. You're listening to Pastor Paul Atwater. Pastor Paul also teaches each month at the Thursday morning men's breakfast at the Union Club in Boston. When we come back from our break, you'll hear more from him. He also serves on the steering committee for Greater Things for Greater Boston. It's a group of urban and suburban church leaders who are committed to changing how our community sees and talks about the church. Feel his heart, but also open your heart to what the Lord has to say to you through Pastor Paul Atwater, northriverchurch.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wondering the Desperate life, aimlessly beneath the barren sky. 
Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A little girl was crying one day. A police officer saw her and said, Why are you crying? The girl said, I'm lost. He said, Do you have your parents' phone number? She said, No. She started to sob even more. Do you have their address? No, she said. And suddenly her face changed. Her eyes lit up. The police officer inquired, What happened? She said, I remember. Near my house, there's a church. And at the church, there's a cross. Take me to the cross. Take me to the cross because when I see the cross, I'll be able to find my way home. My friend, today, will you turn to the cross, the cross of Christ where Jesus shed his blood? He was buried, yes, but he rose again from the grave. The redemptive love of Christ who died for your sins, his arms outstretched for you today. Would you turn to Jesus, turn to the cross, and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord? James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers. Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Well, you know how it is. You you, you listen to someone speak and uh, you might not say it, but you, you, you're always gauging and getting a sense of where they're coming from and feeling if they're able to engage you. Well, Pastor Paul Atwater. He is one of those speakers that I can listen to for a long time, and I can listen to him over and over. The gift that he has and the way that he communicates the Word of God is compelling, it's challenging, and enriching. You're listening to the Good Life Radio Program. Danny Yamashiro here with Pastor Paul Atwater. You can find out more about his ministry, North River Church, at northriverchurch.org. Look, if you're tuning in right now, or maybe caught the tail end of the last segment, listen, you can get this program as a gift. Just go to drdanny.live. And as you listen to it, think about who you might share this with. Encourage, inspire someone else. Drdanny.live. So, Paul, football and track. You're a sportsman. How did you discover your love for sports, and specifically football? So I was not a natural athlete. Um, I went out for the track team in seventh grade, junior high school, and uh, after not making the basketball team that winter, and found that everybody makes the track team, which is kind of cool. And I didn't win right away. But what I found was track is one of those unique sports where you can run against yourself, meaning you can get a little bit better 
each time if you keep working at it. And I watched my time start to go down. I think in the first meet, they wouldn't let me enter the high jump because I couldn't consistently clear the opening height, which was probably 3.6. But by the end of that first spring, um, I was regularly winning in in some of my races and uh, often either first or second place in our town in, in the high jump for that age group. And I just kept doing that. Well, that opened the door the next fall. I tried out for football. You had to be at least in the eighth grade to make the eighth and ninth grade team. And we had three days of tryouts. And I thought I saw the, the coach scratch my name off the list with, with an Atwater. I'm towards the top of the list with you know the A's and it would be an alphabetical list. So the last event uh, on the third day was he had us line up on the goal line and we, we ran down the field around the goalposts and back. So it was 220 yards. And thinking that I just saw my name get scratched off the list. When they blew the whistle, I took off like a rocket. And all of a sudden I realized I'm ahead of everybody else on the team, the ninth graders too. And I circled the goalposts, I could see where people were and I just kept going. And I beat everybody on the entire team. So I made the football team. What I found was the next day they handed out the pads and the uniforms. I didn't know how to put the pads on. I had, I had no idea. We had these hip pads that I was supposed to protect the front of my private parts and somebody laughed at me and said here let me show you how to put these on the right way but I knew nothing about football but because I could run it opened the door the next year I made the basketball team because I could run and I got better every year and um, you know I I fell in love with the game I happened to play fullback uh, from the seventh grade or the eighth grade rather all the way through my senior year in college and in high school it was a position nobody else wanted to play so there was little competition because you don't carry the ball all the time you do a lot of dirty work you have to hit people and I found I liked the hitting and I, and I liked the competitive part of that I worked out my aggressions doing that and um, you know I fell in love with the game I really did the gift of speed I'm thinking about Eric Little 1924 gold medalist chariots of fire God made me fast. And when I run, <laughs> I feel his pleasure. Paul Outwater, you, you well, felt the pleasure of God. <laughs> Eric Little was really fast, though. <laughs> I wasn't that fast. I, I could win a lot of races in high school, but I got humbled quickly when I went to college. Uh, I, I wasn't winning any races well, in college. Well, let's talk about Wheaton. What was your experience like at Wheaton College? And, and, and did anything surprise you? Uh, yeah. First of all, Wheaton was a wonderful experience in a lot of ways. And you turned away opportunities to go to some Ivy League schools. I, I did. I got accepted at Princeton, and I was recruited to play football at Princeton. And I can still remember the coach yelling over the phone at me, you're making the biggest mistake of your life, the day that I told him that I had accepted at Wheaton and I was going to go there. But the reason was the ministry opportunities at Wheaton. And I knew that Billy Graham had gone there, and there had been a family friend who had influenced me. And I had an older sister who had gone to Wheaton, and... I longed for those kind of Christian friends, and I thought, um, I'm not going to be a professional football player or anything like that. I'm not that good, but I I really wanted to continue on and wanted to play. And um, But more than anything, I, I, I wanted to grow deeper in my faith, and Wheaton was a phenomenal environment like that. Wheaton had tremendous churches of just about every different stripe that you can imagine, and so it was a great place to... Um, sort of do a church tour. You could go to a different place every weekend for a year, and you could find these great, great churches. And I was trying to figure out who are they, what do they believe, 
Where are they similar to the background I came up with? And where are they different and why? And so that was another part of the education that went along with that. And to study every discipline in college with um, professors who openly talked about their faith and tried to integrate faith into whatever the discipline was, that was a very rich experience. I, I loved it. Have you ever thought back about the coach yelling at you, the Princeton coach yelling at you? Sure. Did you ever circle back? And no, well. How do you process that? Well, that, that guy became the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. So being a Patriots fan, at least twice a year, I'd see him stalking the sidelines. And he's a very good coach, and I would think back on that. But I, I have no regrets because uh, I, I really enjoyed my, my experience at Wheaton and, and the football time at Wheaton, too. Uh, but it, there, there's a time when all that comes to an end, and, and Wheaton began to point me toward where I think God was really leading me. Times and seasons. When did you sense God's calling, Paul, to the pastoral ministry? I had thoughts about it in high school. I wouldn't have admitted that to anybody. But um, during my, the end of my freshman year and in my sophomore year of college, I got invited to teach a small group with ninth and 10th grade boys through a, a, basically a Youth for Christ slash Fellowship of Christian Athletes program. And there was a guy on the track team who was a couple of years ahead of me who invited me to come in and be his assistant. So we literally got up at five o'clock in the morning one day every week and we would go to this home in the next town over where uh, a mom had opened up her home and we'd have eight or 10 of these ninth and 10th grade boys who would come and we were leading them through a discipleship program. And uh, I, I went through that open door, so to speak. And then uh, that led to some other opportunities through the Wheaton football program where there were some small churches around Illinois who would invite some of us to come in on a, a youth emphasis Sunday or something like that. And, and one of us would preach, some of us would sing, and, and uh, we'd tell our, our testimonies. And I had my first opportunities to preach doing that. It was terrible. I was all over the place. I had no idea what I was doing, but they'd invite us to come back, which was the amazing thing. And every time I did that, it just seemed like there was another open door to go through. And until I, I think during my senior year of, of college, I had an advisor who said, you know, have you thought about ministry? Because you, you keep making progress and, and you're growing in this. It's obvious that you have the beginnings of the ability to explain what the Word of God says. You know, have you thought about it? And, you know, I was able to open up and say, yeah, I've been having a lot of thoughts about it. But who, who tells people that you think you're supposed to be a pastor? And especially when you're very young. But it started early. This was affirming to you. Yes, very much so. How scared it, the pants off me, too. It scared you. Yeah. Someone today might be listening and they have a yearning or maybe just sensing an odd feeling in the sense that there's something happening inside them. And maybe someone comes and affirms them and says, there's, I see something in you. What would you say to someone like that who doesn't want to come out and just say, I think God is leading me, but someone who's a bit apprehensive, but they sense it, and they're hearing others affirm a calling that they may have? A word to that person. I would say the calling to pastoral ministry takes more than just an internal feeling. But I would, I would encourage that person to talk to your local pastor in your church 
and and express what it is that you're feeling and see if there are any opportunities where you can start small. And I found for me that at each level where I had a teaching opportunity, if I worked at that, I was given another chance to try and get better at that. And the more I worked at it, the more that people kept opening doors for me. So the confirming part is when somebody says, I can see you doing this. This is more than just an interior or internal feeling that you have. I think maybe you have a gifting that is leading in this direction. Um, but I also think it takes hard work. I don't think anybody just instantly has a gift that prepares them for ministry. Pastoral ministry is diverse. There are many different poles. You have to take the hard jobs along with the, the fun jobs that, that come along with a role like that. Pastor Paul Atwater, he does work hard. You just listen to him. You listen to him speak. You listen to him preach and teach. Uh, there's, a, there's a depth of richness there. Well, obviously, he's an avid reader, regularly diving into books on leadership, church history, even loves military history. When we come back from our break, well, we'll stay, uh, we'll stay a bit more on this subject of pastoral ministry, but more specifically on the preaching ministry and the shepherding ministry. It makes me wonder as he speaks, who were some of his role models that inspired him, who he emulated for the glory of God, of course. He served as a contributing editor for a leadership journal and was a member of Wheaton College's Leadership Council. NorthRiverChurch.org. Stay with us. The road of desperate life, famously beneath the barren sky. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a program that was born out of prayer. The Spirit of Christ guides us through prayer, empowers us through prayer, and provides for us through prayer. There are mighty things that the Lord is doing in the Northeast, across the United States, and around the world. Would you like to be a part of God's work through The Good Life with Dr. Danny? Visit drdanny.live. Dr. Danny invites you to join his prayer team. Each month, you will receive a letter updating you on some of the behind-the-scenes developments, prayer requests, along with a devotional that Dr. Danny writes to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Join the prayer team today and make an eternal difference in people's lives. Visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. So, so it's said that if you want to get to know somebody, look, look at their friends, look at who they hang around with. Well, another way of looking at it is this. If you want to get to know somebody, look at his or her mentors. Who influences? Who are the role models in this person's life? You're listening to The Good Life Radio Show. Danny Yamashiro here with Pastor Paul Atwater of North River Church. Find out more about North River Church at northriverchurch.org. Pastor Paul, who were your role models in preaching and shepherding? So I would say there are a number of them. I'm not 
a clone of any one of the, the people who were role models for me. The first was Pastor Douglas Ald, who was at First Baptist in Weymouth for 25 years. Doug Ald was a very faithful, energetic Bible teacher, and, and he taught through books of the Bible in ex, an expository fashion, kind of outlined things. He was uh, very precise. He would preach for 30 minutes, and he would stop on the dime when 30 minutes was up. But he was very optimistic and uh, presented each challenge with a lot of enthusiasm. So, you know, I, I looked up to him. Um, he invited me to call him by his first name, and later on when I got to know him, I, I couldn't do that. He was always pastoral to me because I held him way up high in my estimation. Haddon Robinson uh, was the president at Denver Seminary. Haddon had uh, taught homiletics or preaching for 22 years at Dallas Seminary. Then he became the president at Denver, and he only came to Denver Seminary with the knowledge that he would remake the entire Master of Divinity program and build it around the discipline of preaching. And so he reworked all of that. Haddon was known for uh, preaching the big idea. In other words, he, he would say that you have to know what you're talking about, and you have to be able to boil that down to one catchy sentence that really guided the whole sermon. And so he, he, he trained us in, in that um, methodology. During my last year of seminary, I was in an advanced preaching module with him where he chose 10 young men who were part of that program, and it was a hand-selected group each year that he chose. And I had the privilege of being a part of that, and he worked with us. And so his stamp is all over the way that I think about preaching and trying to have clarity and trying to build uh, application into the guts of, of each message. Rick Warren is another. Uh, I went through Rick Warren's Preaching for Changed, Life, uh, Changed Lives course twice, and I realized there were a lot of things that Rick was doing out in Southern California that was immediately transferable to our setting. And um, I give a lot of credit to, to Rick Warren for turning around some of my thinking about how I engage with, with people and how I, I ask questions in each message, and the message is trying to answer that one fundamental question. Say more. How, how, did, it, how did it translate immediately, you know, those things that he that he taught to your setting here? So Rick had a fundamental idea that, that God had one goal for every Christian, that he wants to make us more like Jesus. So the, the goal of uh, preaching then isn't just to get information into people's heads. The goal is how do you shape your preaching in the direction where God wants to take people? And how do you make it as practical as possible and not just teach the Bible as an academic discipline, but how do we teach the Bible in a way that connects with the questions that people have and uh, the, the questions that, that they are asking. So I'm always looking at every passage that I study in the Bible and trying to figure out, okay, if I was reading for this for the first time, what are the questions that would immediately pop out? And I'm writing down those questions on my pad as I'm, as I'm preparing each message. And I'm trying to think through, uh, how can I help uh, a first-time listener or an unchurched person who's, who's completely unfamiliar with the Bible connect with this in a way that comes into the realm where we live? And so I'm thinking through every message from that standpoint. You speak of preaching. It's, it's really an art, a craft that you've you continue to work on, you continue to hone those skills, and of course that, that collective measure of all those decades of, 
the word percolating in your heart and soul. Here's a nuance. Pastoring, preaching now. Mm-hmm. Preaching and pastoral ministry, the shepherding part of the work. What have you learned over three decades? Are there any lessons that come to the surface immediately when you think about something that the Lord has emblazoned in your heart? Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say that the pastoral side of the work and the preaching side of the work, if you do it well, they go hand in hand. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, here's where I'm really hurting. Here's where my life is falling apart because they've listened to me long enough where there's a trust that is built up. Uh, Sometimes um, the teaching ministry can be part of the healing that goes on in people's lives because God communicates through his word far beyond what we've ever prepared. And if we're being faithful to the word, we're discovering how he's using that along the way. Uh, But you have to care about people. There's a truth side to what we do, but there's also a, a compassion and grace side to what we do. And there's a way you can teach the Bible very, very accurately, but what doesn't come out of that is compassion and love for people. And I, and I think that when you connect the two of them, all of this sort of comes together, that the pastoral side meshes with the preaching side of the work. And um, I think when we're at our best, I heard James Emery White talk about this recently. He said there are three kinds of churches. There are There are churches that have a a huge handle on truth, but they don't do grace well. There are churches that are really, really high on grace, but they skirt around the truth in order to be always loving and always compassionate. The harder thing is to be the third kind of church, where we do truth and grace equally with the right kind of balance. And I'm always looking for that, trying to figure out how, how do we find that right balance between truth and grace. A moment of reflection. More reflection. Sure. When you look back on the three decades plus of what the Lord has done in and through you and your leaders and the members of North River Church, what stirs in your heart, Paul? Gratitude. That's the first thing that comes to mind. To survive in one church for 33 years is, is an, as a wonderful, wonderful gift to me. And pastors get an awful lot of the credit, but I, I didn't plant our church alone. You know, in some ways, we, we did it backwards. We didn't have any funding. We, I went back to painting houses that first year to have an income. But there was a group of people who came alongside of me who said, as you describe your vision of wanting to create a church with a heart for the unchurched, we want to be a part of that. We'll help you do that. And there are many, many people who made great sacrifices to help build our church. We took a lot of arrows in the back early on because people thought, this is crazy. This is an idea that will never work in New England. This is a, you know, a Midwestern idea or a Pacific Coast idea, and churches aren't like this in New England. But I had a group of people who were pioneers who said, we share that dream. We'll help you do that. And I think a church that is a healthy church is not a pastor-run church. The pastor has a very central role, but there's a great core of volunteers who take ownership 
for what the vision of that church is. So I took it on early that my responsibility was to keep painting the picture of what that vision was and to keep that out in front of people and then to let other people get their thumbprints all over how that vision would come into reality. So I don't take credit for North River. I, I happen to be leading a team of people who God sent and were just are phenomenal people. And I love our church. Well, it's obvious that you love your people. And it's obvious that they, they know you love them. It's something to be loved by your shepherd. And uh, it's hard to think of anything more Christ-like than, than that is both a picture and a reality. As you talked about vision early on, mm -hmm. then you mentioned painting a picture. What picture is the Lord leading you to paint in the future? In the future. Well, um, I think there are challenges that we face in this day and age that we live in. Um, one is how, how do we live out our faith in a warm and winsome way, as all of the sociologists who study the patterns in religion tell us that by uh, 2050, self-identifying Christians are going to be a minority culture within the United States. Look at the rest of Europe, look at where Canada's at, they're already there. So we are living in what they call a post-Christian age. And there are different assumptions that we have about ministry. And there are some things that we have done well and some things we've done poorly in evangelical churches. So, you know, one of those causes is trying to think through how do we uphold longstanding biblical values, like um, marriage and sexuality, for instance, and at the same time, how do we love people who are caught in the throes of what have sometimes been described as the culture wars? So I'm involved in a ministry that is trying to teach pastors around the nation and church leaders around the nation, how do we love LGBT people and hold on to historic values at the same time? And that those might seem like oxymoronic concepts, but there are all kinds of people who grow up in Bible-believing churches who all of a sudden are torn apart by their own internal desires and struggle to figure out their sexual identity, or there are family members who all of a sudden discover that one of their children is LGBT or a coworker or a friend. How do I talk to this person, they're asking. How, how do I relate my faith to them? And often, people who are part of uh, the LGBT movement have been taught that uh, evangelical Christians hate them or have no room for them. And I, I've gotten involved in a ministry called Posture Shift Ministries that literally has, has trained 100,000 pastors and church leaders over the last 15 years about how to do a better job with this very challenging discussion that we live in, in, live with in, the, in this age that we're in. And um, we're seeing changes that are happening in churches in, in recognizing that, um, well, my, my friend Bill Henson says it this way, that a gospel of exclusion has no power to reach those who already have been rejected. Say that again. That a gospel of exclusion has no power to reach people who have already been rejected. We need to have that emblazoned within within our hearts. The gospel emanates from that, from that phrase. We can feel the heart of Jesus. 
It takes courage, Pastor Paul Atwater, takes courage to engage in the throes of that which would seem or that which are oxymoronic. How do we love in a moment and in a place and dear people who are in the throes of culture wars? You're doing it. We need to do it. We need to do more of it. Pastor Paul Atwater, NorthRiverChurch.org. When we come back from our break, in our final segment, how has the Lord helped him in difficult times? Dear friend, are you going through a tough time right now? Let me just remind you that you're not alone. You're not alone. The Lord knows. Pastor Paul Atwater, he's the senior pastor of North River Church, where people are being changed forever by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny. A program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Pastor Paul Atwater also teaches each month at the Thursday morning men's breakfast at the Union Club in Boston. I'm privileged to hear him when he speaks. I always look forward to hearing him deliver the word of the Lord. And as you can tell today, just hearing his heart, hearing his passion, his vision. He inspires. God is using him to inspire us. NorthRiverChurch.org. You can find out more about him and his amazing ministry. Again, NorthRiverChurch.org. Pastor Paul, how has the Lord helped you through difficult times? Well, first of all, I don't think that the Lord exempts any of us from the hard times that are normative to life. And uh, so a successful life, a life that is blessed by God, doesn't mean that it is without hardship. A lot of times, uh, God, I think, gets our attention more through those hardships and does more shaping of our souls than we ever realize in the midst of those times. Um, I I think back to to football. Um, I'm, in a sense, a misplaced football coach. A long time ago, I thought that's what I was supposed to do with my life. And uh, the biggest thing I learned in football, playing fullback, uh, especially through my college years, is fullbacks do dirty jobs a lot of times. And 
playing that position, you get knocked down on almost every single play of the game. You're blocking somebody who's bigger than you or you're carrying the ball in the middle of the line and they tackle you. But the key thing is, will you get back up? And so that's my, that's my mentality, that we go through life and we are going to get knocked down, but will we get back up and what happens when we get back up? So there are a lot of things that happen in life. Um, my, my mother died from cancer when I was 28. She was only 58 years old. That was a huge blow. Uh, my mother was the rock of our family in a lot of ways. And yet I realized God used that in, in my life to, to make me realize that uh, sometimes God's answer to our prayers and asking that people would be healed according to our wishes, well, that's not his desire. He has another plan. But does our faith carry on through that and around that? And I saw all kinds of evidence of the way that God was using my mom, even in the final week of her life. Uh, I remember her telling me two days before she died that uh, a nurse had come into her room at Dana-Farber Hospital here in Boston and, and two o'clock in the morning, standing at the foot of my mother's bed. And my mom knew nursing routine. She'd been a nurse almost her entire adult life. And she woke up and she saw this nurse standing at the foot of her bed and said, hi, you know, what, what is it? Is there, do you want something? And she, the lady started writing on her clipboard. And she said, no, 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 you're just standing there watching. And she said, Mrs. Atwater, I've been watching you. Almost everybody in this wing of the hospital that you're in is dealing with a life-threatening form of cancer, and they're dying. And there's something different about you. I was trying to figure out what it, what it is. My mom set up, as sick as she was, going to die two days later. My mom started sharing the gospel with this woman. You know, I saw God's hand all over that. Uh, there are hard things that come. In, in all kinds of seasons in life. And sometimes if we open up and we talk about how we struggle with those moments and yet share the, the, the grace notes that God provides within those moments, other people identify because they say, I'm going through that kind of scenario or something different. And uh, we're, not all, we're not all exempt from that. Well, someone is in their moment right now. They're struggling. They're at their wit's end. They've run out of resources. They've been given a surprise, surprise news, maybe a surprise loss. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're in shock right now. And they're listening to you share about the challenges. Maybe they are afraid of someone that they're going to lose. Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe in their anger they said something that they wish they could take back. Maybe they feel like it's too late. Someone in, in a moment like that, Pastor Paul Atwater, what would you say to a heart that's troubled, that's broken, that's hurting? I would say when you understand the picture that Jesus was painting of God that comes through perhaps most clearly in what we call the parable of the prodigal son, we see a God who runs toward his children who turn back in his direction. That's the God I know. That's the God I believe in. Our stories are not all trophy stories. Sometimes our stories are of the, are of the mistakes that we make. And often in my preaching, I, I actually try to tell the stories of where I really blew something. I really got it wrong. Because I know if I only tell trophy stories or I got it right, people can't identify with me. But when I share the big mistakes that I make or you know, how God comes through or where I'm struggling, people identify because everybody's struggling at some point. Would you pray 
sure. for our dear friend or dear brother and sister in Christ or someone who is searching to find out, to learn more about the Lord as you're sharing so well and their heart is becoming more and more open to Christ. Would you pray for them in their trouble, in their pain? Father God, we come to you with those people in mind who may be listening to this broadcast who find themselves far from you. Not sure how they got there, but they woke up this morning and realized that they've drifted and they're not in the place they want to be. Or there are events that other people have brought upon them that have driven them far from uh, their goals or from their faith of their youth. And I pray that you will awaken memories of times that uh, they knew they were closer to you or that you will open a door for the first time for people to walk through uh, that door of grace. And I pray that you will lift fear and apprehension and that you will allow them to see that you are the God who loves them and who welcomes his children home and longs for everyone to come to a place where they can throw their trust in you as the, the rock and anchor of the soul. So I pray that you'd hear the person who right now is saying, Lord, here I come, doubts and all. Take me to the next step where I can stand on a solid foundation. We pray this, that you would take them all the way there in the confidence of Jesus. Amen. Oh, amen, amen. All the way there. Amen. What is your favorite scripture verse in this season of your life? Oh, in this season of life. Um, hmm. Probably one of the most... Um, Overquoted and sometimes misused verses is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think what Paul had in mind is not that we can do anything we want to do, but everything that God wants us to do and that he designed us to do, he will enable us to do when we lean on him. Why? Why is that so meaningful to you today? Why? I think because when you look at all of the challenges that we have in life, all the negatives that are going on, um, even, even the whole prospect of, of being involved in, the pro in seeing people turn around their spiritual trajectory in life, I can't make that happen. There's no pastor who can make that happen. But we can be tools for the Lord who longs to do that work within people, and he uses us in the process of that. So I'm one of those people who wakes up and say, says, okay, Lord, how do you want to use me today? I'm here. I'm ready. I'm yours. Well, the Apostle Paul was a, was a leader of leaders. He himself said, follow me as I follow Christ. You are an avid reader of leadership. Is there one thing that you think about when you read and when you live your life as a leader that you want to emulate and wish that others would carry on even after you're gone? Um, yeah. Um, I, have, I have thought that for the last 38 years, especially the last 33 years, I have been a suburban missionary. I've been trying to figure out in an age where almost everybody in our society has heard the gospel and many have become bored by it. How do we nonetheless lean into the idea that there is a God who is searching for people 
and how do we present his truth in ways that connects in ways that connect with the hurts and the and the challenges that people have and i just hope that we'll raise up a generation of people who care about that challenge and who care about other people enough to be connectors where where, where people can walk alongside of us and then take the baton from us and run the race ahead of us even more diligently than we have run that race. Well spoken as a leader of leaders yourself, Pastor Paul. And it is, it is no shock to me that there are others coming up under your leadership who are going to carry that torch all for the glory of God in a new era, in, the new, in their generations and beyond. Paul Atwater, thank you for being with us today, sharing your heart and your life. Thanks for having me, Danny. It's been a privilege. Words of new beginnings from a shepherd and a preacher of God's word from Pastor Paul Atwater, NorthRiverChurch.org. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, watch this. This is the perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Go to drdanny.live. I've got some resources for you there to join our prayer team or partner with us financially. Again, drdanny.live. And I thank you in advance. Psalm 119.14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Pastor Paul Atwater, NorthRiverChurch.org. Until next time, along with my producer, David Nasora, creative director, Brian Torres, web designer, Shana Kusumoto, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.